It's time now for the complete story, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here's the BRN father and son team, Dick and Rich Bot, with today's complete story. Yeah, well, here we go. It goes on and on and on, doesn't it, Rich? Yep, it sure does. Um, in the evening, and especially when we wake up in the morning, uh, my wife and I are talking. Uh, about the problems that that America faces and everybody's facing right now. Uh, and she said, you know, Dick, she said, the song that comes to my mind, of course, is to trust the Lord. There's no doubt about that. But this particular song, let's enjoy it now. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you cannot tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible, and He can do. Okay, you see, isn't that nice, Rich? When a person is a Christian. Now, what I mean is a Bible-believing Christian. Um, you talk about prayer a lot, Rich. If the nation would only get back to prayer um, and turn its eyes in that direction, things would be a lot better, wouldn't they? Well, that's what the Bible promises. Yeah. Doris Acres, I want to I open the program with this song, Doris Acres. Uh, recorded many, many years ago, a song that's meant so much to me. I know it will also to our entire listening audience, where she said, I sure do love the Lord. Here it is. I sure do love the Lord. How about you? He's been When I think about his goodness and how much he loves me When counting up my blessings, that's the dearest thing to me I sure do love the Lord How about you? serve him and in him we would put our trust and knowing just what life with him affords 
It's wonderful. Dad, you have a wonderful personal collection that goes back many, many years. <laughs> well, that's what happens when you get to be 87 years old in another couple of weeks. Uh-huh. Now, here is something that I have in my collection. One of our Christian preachers of many, many years ago, many years ago, one of the real pioneers of the gospel, he said, if I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition, every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at the moment attacking. I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing him. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved, and to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. How many pastors, how many preachers uh, kind of ignore one subject or another because they know it's just a little controversial? And that's what he was talking about, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you see, that's why, that's why the issue that we are facing now in America— with the Supreme Court situation and everything else, is the issue of life. Isn't that interesting, folks? Life, L-I-F-E, for goodness sakes, it's the human life of an unborn child. And I'll tell you, that is where the battle is raging. Call it wherever else you may, that exactly is where the battle is raging. And wonderful to be in the United States of America where we can really uh, debate and uh, preach and express what we believe honestly. And Paul Harvey now, Paul Harvey, a long time ago when he was alive, he did a recording on this very subject as to what people did, what price they paid, how it happened that we have the freedom, at least we still have uh, the freedom to speak our mind and say it boldly and clearly, even though others may disagree. Here's Paul Harvey to tell us about it. Hello, Americans. I'm Paul Harvey. You remember the cherry tree fiction. A long time after you have forgotten the more earth-shaking history-making episodes in the life of George Washington, you have misplaced in your memory the details of Ben Franklin's statesmanship, but you remember his flying a kite. 
Joyce Kilmer was a great military hero. But the only thing you personally recall about him is his poetic tribute to trees. Maybe of this current decade, that which will be remembered best will not be its wars and its moon rockets or its crumbling frontiers or the giants who lived and died. Maybe all that will survive to linger in the day-by-day -day vocabulary of generations yet unborn may be the, the songs of a Memphis minstrel or the reincarnation of electric automobiles. I, Paul Harvey, do herewith bequeath unto you something to remember. You may not be able to quote one line from the Declaration of Independence at this moment. Henceforth, you'll always be able to quote at least one line. It's in the last paragraph where you will recall when I remind you, it says, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. In the Pennsylvania State House that's now called Independence Hall in Philadelphia, the best men from each of the colonies sat down together. This was a very fortunate hour in our nation's history, one of those rare occasions in the lives of men when we had greatness to spare. These were men of means, well-educated, 24 were lawyers and jurists, nine were farmers, owners of large plantations. On June 11, a committee sat down to draw up a declaration of independence. We were going to tell the British fatherland no more rule by redcoats. Below the dam of ruthless foreign rule, the stream of freedom was running shallow and muddy, and we were going to light a fuse to dynamite that dam. This pact, as Burke later put it, was a partnership between the living and the dead and the yet unborn. There was no bigotry, there was no demagoguery in this group. All had shared hardships. Jefferson finished a draft of the document in 17 days. Congress adopted it in July, and so much is familiar history. But now, King George III had denounced all rebels in America as traitors, punishment for treason was hanging. The names now so familiar to you from the several signatures on that Declaration of Independence, the names were kept secret for six months, for each knew the full meaning of that magnificent last paragraph in which his signature pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. Fifty-six men placed their names beneath that pledge. Fifty-six men knew when they signed that they were risking everything. They knew if they won this fight, the best they could expect would be years of hardship in a struggling nation. And if they lost, they'd face a hangman's rope. But they signed the pledge. And here is the documented fate of that gallant 56. Carter Braxton of Virginia, wealthy planter, trader, saw his ships swept from the seas. To pay his debts, he lost his home and all of his properties and died in rags. Thomas Lynch, Jr., who signed that pledge, was a third-generation rice grower, aristocrat, large plantation owner. After he signed, his health failed. His wife and he set out for France to regain his failing health. Their ship never got to France, was never heard from again. Thomas McKean of Delaware was so harassed by the enemy that he was forced to move his family five times in five months. He served in Congress without pay, his family in poverty and in hiding. Vandals looted the properties of Ellery and Clymer and Hall and Gwinnett and Walton and Hayward and Rutledge and Middleton. 
Thomas Nelson Jr. of Virginia raised $2 million on his own signature to provision our allies, the French fleet. After the war, he personally paid back the loans, wiped out his entire estate, and he was never reimbursed by his government. In the final battle for Yorktown, he, Nelson, urged General Washington to fire on his, Nelson's own home, which was occupied by Cornwallis. It was destroyed. Thomas Nelson, Jr. had pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. The Hessians seized the home of Francis Hopkinson of New Jersey. Francis Lewis had his home and everything destroyed, his wife imprisoned. She died within a few months. Richard Stockton, who signed that declaration, was captured, mistreated, his health broken to the extent that he died at 51, his estate was pillaged. Thomas Hayward Jr. was captured when Charleston fell. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside while she was dying. Their 13 children fled in all directions for their lives. His fields and grist mill were laid waste. For more than a year, he lived in forests and caves and returned home after the war to find his wife dead, his children gone, his properties gone, and he died a few weeks later of exhaustion and a broken heart. Lewis Morris saw his land destroyed, his family scattered. Philip Livingston died within a few months from the hardships of the war. John Hancock, history remembers best due to a quirk of fate rather than anything he stood for, that great sweeping signature attesting to his vanity towers over the others, one of the wealthiest men in New England. And yet he stood outside Boston one terrible night of the war, and he said, burn Boston, though it makes John Hancock a beggar if the public good requires it. So he, too, lived up to the pledge. Of the 56, few were long to survive. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes from Rhode Island to Charleston sacked, looted, occupied by the enemy, or burned. Two lost their sons in the army. One had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 died in the war from its hardships or from its more merciful bullets. I don't know what impression you had had of the men who met that summer in Philadelphia. But I think it's important that we remember this about them. They were not poor men. They were not wild-eyed pirates. These were men of means. They were rich men, most of them, and had enjoyed much ease and luxury in their personal living. Not hungry men, certainly not terrorists, not irresponsible malcontents, not fanatical incendiaries. These men were prosperous men, wealthy landowners. They were substantially secure in their prosperity. They had everything to lose. But they considered liberty, and this is as much as I shall say of it. They had learned that liberty is so much more important than security that they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And they fulfilled their pledge. They paid the price. And freedom was born. Yeah. And freedom, and freedom, and freedom was born. 
And then what you do with it is the next step, isn't it, Rich? And it's such a fragile thing. that need to take care of it each generation to be able to pass it on to the next. And men of honor and men of goodwill. And then let's, let's not forget our Pledge of Allegiance because one nation under God, indivisible. That's the goal, isn't it, Rich? It is. Absolutely. Uh, then we move forward into the 1990s in Wichita, Kansas. You were there with me, Rich, in the 1990s in Wichita. The subject then was life, L-I-F-E, because there was a third trimester abortionist um, there in Wichita, Kansas, that was nationally known because of of his abortion business on third trimester uh, unborn children. And um, he was protected by the politicians, no doubt about that. And, uh, and then um, one of our friends, Rich, uh, Pastor Joe Wright, was asked to open the legislature in prayer. Um, Pastor Joe Wright was the preacher at Central Christian Church in Wichita. And he opened the, the session in Topeka, Kansas, in prayer. And, uh, and the prayer was very similar to what we should be praying today. But in the middle of his prayer, why the Democrats started to get up and walk out. The Democrats did not like his prayer. Now, I'm sorry, but this is exactly the way it was. And then Paul Harvey got a hold of the story. And he had it on his national broadcast. And he told the whole story and repeated the prayer that Pastor Joe Wright had given. And I think this would be a good time for our audience to hear that again because today if we go to prayer and we stand for what's right and we do the right thing and don't flinch, don't flinch from the moment of truth, life and then liberty and then the pursuit of we're Americans folks this is what Paul Harvey had to say here it is man oh man they won't invite Pastor Joe to the Kansas State Legislature again they invited Pastor Joe Wright of Wichita Central Christian Church to deliver the invocation and he told God on him now God knows what they've been up to and no sooner has their guest chaplain concluded his prayer than three Democrats on the state legislature are on their feet at microphones protesting he can't talk like that about us representative delbert gross called the invocation gross derisive sanctimonious and overbearing representative david haley called it blasphemous and ignorant representative sabrina standifer echoed the indignation what in the world had pastor joe said in topeka which incited the righteous wrath of three democrats from hayes and kansas city well <laughs> I have secured the entire text of the invocation so that you can evaluate it for yourself. What was it these Democrats didn't like? Quote, Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and to seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, woe to those who call evil good, and that's exactly what we've done. We've lost our spiritual equilibrium. We've inverted our values. 
We confess that we've ridiculed the absolute truth of your word in the name of moral pluralism. We've worshipped other gods and called it multiculturalism. We've endorsed perversion and called it alternative lifestyle. We've exploited the poor and called it a lottery. We've neglected the needy and called it self-preservation. We've rewarded laziness and called it welfare. Father, in the name of choice, we have killed our unborn. We've neglected to discipline our children and called it building esteem. We have abused power and called it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it taxes. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God. Know our hearts today. Try us and show us any wicked in us and then cleanse us from every sin and set us free. Guide and bless these men and women who have been sent here by the people of Kansas and who have been ordained by you to govern this great state. Grant them your wisdom to rule and may their decisions direct us to the center of your will. I ask it in the name of your Son, the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> Rich, uh, let's have Pastor Joel Wright on our broadcast in the near future. Oh, I'd love to. He's a good friend. How could that prayer, um, you know, inflame uh, those who, well, we could go on and on about that, couldn't we? Listen, do we have a listener comment or two? Oh, we sure do. Here is a lady from Rapid City, South Dakota. This is a listener in Rapid City. Uh, I've been listening to Bot Radio all morning. I feel so full. I feel like I've been at a banquet table eating until I'm just stuffed. And I just thank you because I'm just ready to pack up and leave to go upward immediately. <laughs> Thank you so much for all the blessings that you are able to corral and all the different pastors and the ministries across the country and put them all together for wonderful bot radio programs. Uh, do we have another one? We sure do. Thank you, dear lady from Rapid City. And now here's Michael, who drives a truck. Hello, my name is Michael. I'm a truck driver, and I listen to your program on the road, I want to tell you how much I appreciate all of your programming, the teaching, the preaching, and the information, especially information relative to family research and conservative Christian biblical values. It's a great blessing to me, and I know so many others. So God bless you, and thank you so much. Uh, um, Rich, isn't that a thrill when people call the listener comment line? And then let us know what they like, what they don't like, or whatever they have in mind. I, I I just enjoy that. It really is he was is this our fifty first or this is our fifty second or third year, I think, of Bot Radio Network, isn't it? Oh no, Dad, it's fifty uh, seventh. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've missed a few years there. Started in nineteen sixty two. My voice was a lot stronger then, that's for sure. Listen, folks, enjoy this song with me. because uh, our purpose all these years have been serving the Lord by serving people. Here it is. If I can help somebody as I go along, if I can cheer a stranger with a word, 
or a song if I can show some traveler that he's going wrong then my living shall not be in Then my living shall not be in vain Then my living shall not be in vain If I can help somebody as I go along then my living shall not be in vain Then my living shall not be in vain Yeah. You know, you know, Rich, God gives each one of us a life. Isn't that terrible if we just waste it? Mm-hmm. If we just waste it, squander it. Um, listen, do you have one more listener? Well, comment? yes, and I'd like to give the listener comment line because we'd love to hear from you if you'd like to share your word of uh, encouragement with us. 1-800-345-2621. 1-800-345-2621. Let us know okay. how Bot Radio Network and the Word of God that you've heard preached through Bot Radio Network has made a difference in your life. Here is Hope from Central California. My name is Hope, and I'm from Central California. I am so thankful for Bot Radio Network because for many years I had slid away from God and I recently just bought a new car and all the stations on the car were tuned to Bot Radio Network and I began to listen and I'm thankful because through that listening I've grown closer to God and I've given my life back to the Lord. Thank you again. (laughs) I love that. There's hope for hope. (laughs) Hey, can we play one more? A lady from Texas. My name is Benita, and I live in Lone Star, Texas, not too far from Big Sandy, where the radio station is. I don't know what I'd do without bot radio. We can't go to church right now. We just started back, but we're having social distancing. But I've been listening to bot for about two years now. I love the programs. I've got some favorite ministers on there, Chuck Swindoll, Charles Stanley, Adrian Rogers. But God bless you for sending the word out to America. God bless right. you, Vanita. Yes, this is Dick. Our, our time is up, Rich. Ben, our, this chapter, the complete story, this is Dick Bott with my son, Rich. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.